Welcome to Growing Storytellers, a Helicopter Stories podcast for anyone who works with children aged two to seven years old. I'm Trisha Lee, and this is my colleague, Isla Hill. And today we're going to be moving on to looking at the prime area of literacy uh, with a specific focus on understanding story and comprehension. And it's been quite interesting, this whole thing of understanding story and how Helicopter Story supports children in deepening their understanding of story through the nature of acting it out. But whenever I think about stories and how we develop them and we develop children's understanding of them, I always think of Vivian Gustin Paley's classroom and everything that I know about how her classroom worked, because she created a truly language-rich environment within her classroom. She was reading stories to the children all the time. She was making stories up. She was telling them stories orally. So she'd go through so many different ways of engaging her children with story. And she'd have stories like Charlotte's Web, and she would be reading that, to her five and six year olds. And you sort of go, wow, that, you know, Charlotte's Web is a story that's often used with eight, nine year olds. But actually, she was introducing that story to those children. Um, In her books, you can see the references to all the different ranges of stories that she covers. The Tinderbox is one of the stories that Vivian shared with her children. The Dancing Princesses, the 12 Dancing Princesses, she mentions that in another one of her books. Um, So her children were getting this really rich diet of stories. And they'd not only tell the stories, she wouldn't just tell them, but they'd also act them out. They'd talk about the stories. They'd make posters for them. For Leo Leone, she went through Leo Leone, who's an author probably more known in America than in the UK. But Vivian would go through Leo Leone books with the children and then they'd act them out. They wrote to the author. So they actually had a connection with Leo Leone to find out about him and his life. Um, And they'd look at them in so much detail. So the children really became embedded with all of this language, with all of this understanding and looking at stories in a much deeper way. And I think for me, that's, you know, that's how we get children to understand story. If you read any of Vivian's books and you see the transcriptions of the conversations and the stories that her children told, they feel really advanced, really sophisticated, really incredible storytellers. But it comes from that wealth of story. And this was a poor neighbourhood. This isn't about, you know, children who have access and privilege to that. This is a poor neighbourhood in Chicago, but that actually within the classroom, within the kindergarten classroom, Vivian put story first. And that was what enabled those children to really get that deep understanding of how stories work. Absolutely. And that importance that she placed on story 
means that the children placed importance on story, you know, so not just listening to them and acting them out. But I, I'm, I'm always fascinated in Vivian's books by how much she talks to the children about the stories that they tell as well. So she also treats the storytelling that the children do as, as, as important as Charlotte's Web or the Tinderbox and, and discusses those stories with them. So the children get used to talking about story. Yeah. And seeing the value and being valued in that way and having their words valued. And it's funny, isn't it? Because I think probably the question we get asked the most is, how can I move my children on? How can I help to support developing their stories? My children are telling a lot of list stories or, you know, but they're not actually moving their children. Their children, you know, sort of aren't actually moving forward. They're not developing narrative stories. Mm. They're not, they're too simple, the stories that they're telling. And that's always been for me, you know, the, the only answer that we have is, tell them more stories, read more stories, share more stories, embed stories within their environment. The only way children are going to develop as storytellers is by experiencing story. And the deeper that experience is, the better Mm. their knowledge will be. And there's so much evidence now that children are hearing less stories than they ever did before. Um, There was a campaign, Bring Back the Bedtime Story, and, you know, where in a school, the teacher was going, we need to get children listening to bedtime stories and really working with parents to get them to see the value of that. And I carried out um, like a bit of research in in a reception class I was working with, and only 25% of the children aged four were regularly hearing bedtime stories. And actually one of the child, one of the children that I spoke to, a boy, I just remember him saying, oh, I used to get them when I was younger. And I just Mm. wanted to cry. I'm going, you're four. You know, when I was younger, I'd get a bedtime story. And, you know, sort of that. So understanding story is much harder when we haven't got that context of experiencing story more. And making sure that children have that language rich environment, you know, at home and within school and within our settings, that they're exposed to all of those things. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we um, have developed to support practitioners in the classroom to create a language rich environment is a programme called the Story Basket And I don't want anyone to think this is a huge plug for the story basket or some sort of advert. It's not. But what we wanted to talk about was a little bit of how we uh, go through the different layers of hearing about the story, being interested in the story, being digging deeper um, into the story so that children do uh, develop that interest, do get into that quality conversation around story, which, of course, makes them take on those ideas it helps them to understand characters it 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 gets them to use that vocabulary because they're actually talking about the stories as well as listening to them and one of the ways that we um use the story basket which is a collection of sort of audio only stories so this is really developing children's um 
skill of listening and understanding the story with very little else in the sense of clues as to to what's going on so it is a skill that needs to be practiced it is something that we find children get better at over time and Trish and I have been using it for the last couple of years with different age groups and they've definitely improved over time as they as they've listened to it more and got used to the fact that there is nothing to watch you can see them going right where am I looking you know no no just listen you know and And they get better at it and it's particularly, sorry, Ali, to interrupt you, but, but it's particularly because we're such a visual culture for children now. And, you know, that whole thing where you would, you know, sort of listening to the radio might have been the way you got stories, you know, sort of in the 40s, 50s, um, 60s, and then television became in. But the children that are alive now, it's so much and it's so quick and so instant within there. So, you know, it's that actually tuning in their listening ear and it's amazing watching them amazing seeing how different children do that some children lie down some children will be actually doing the actions and you can see them moving and you know sort of becoming the characters or you know sort of acting out the things that they're see they're hearing to actually physically yeah. bring that to life absolutely and so one of the things that we do um as part of our work with the story basket is that we, and I know, you know, this is, this is what other, other practitioners are doing is listening to the story several times. They definitely need to hear it several times. And what we tend to do is focus on one story over two weeks, but it's very different for us because we're only coming in once, but the teacher is also listening and doing, shall we say the story basket as well, but they definitely get that deeper understanding and we we kind of think three is the magic number don't we when it comes to the the listening of a story that they really need to hear that story a minimum of three times so that they can it can really land with them it can really you know they can really start to hear it in lots of different ways Um, and as part of that and as part of the support of listening to stories you know because we are aware that obviously if you've only got audio you are completely relying on language so we've worked we worked with a practitioner who came up with a brilliant sort of suggestion of creating word banks and, and and she herself had made word banks for her children and we were like wow we should do that for the story basket to support the more unusual shall we say vocabulary um so in there there's is it nine or something like that it's six or nine depending on six or nine so there's not a huge amount there's just a few pictures where we've picked out something and gone that would be a good um word to for the children to have some sort of visual representation for because of course you know we are trying to support children who are speaking English as an additional language so those key pictures can really help maybe place some of the gaps when they're listening and you think oh you know they they might not know what that is because it might be something unusual um you know things like the words um parade or um cauldron silken purse which comes up cauldron you know these are words that we don't hear in daily language let alone if we're learning english as as an additional language to to the one we speak at home so the word banks have been really useful but i know trish you've also seen them being used in all sorts of ways 
Uh, for, for the group that I'm working with, we always print out the word banks um, at the start of a session, uh, you know, start of a new story. And then we just leave them around and they're sort of printed out mm. on A5 size. But the children have been using them to copy and they've just done this themselves. They've been copying the words. So actually writing mm. down and you. So you'll see these four and five year olds writing the word cauldron, but they've copied the letters from one of the word bank pictures and you know sort of that's happening more and more but also because I think there's the stories and and the word banks those are all starting to feed into their helicopter stories so you're seeing bits of that happening as well which is really interesting and it's a massive thing isn't it yeah. like going here's my story and I'm going to feed in something from another story within it so yeah. I had um I had a girl who we'd been doing the porridge pot from the story basket and she started her story. She sat down next to me and she said, the town was covered in pasta. And she said, I'm doing my own version. And she was very aware that she was borrowing and taking the porridge and the town being covered with porridge, but she made it pasta as well. So that's a really nice way that, you know, sort of, and that's about embedding that understanding and all of that rich language that suddenly children feel like they've got more sources to draw from. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed seeing in the children that we've used the story basket with is their ability to talk about stories. So as we were saying in Vivian's classroom, there was a currency of language around story. And I think we've really seen that with the children in the poetry basket, because obviously inspired by Vivian's discussing stories, we included something called thoughts for discussion in the story basket. So there's just like three questions in, in the thoughts for discussion, which are things that we thought would be interesting to the children. So um, one of the really good discussions that I, I remember the children really enjoying was in the frog prince. And um, the question was, oh, why was, why did the Wicked Witch put a spell on the prince? So obviously, I don't know if you know the story, but the frog is really a prince who was turned into a frog by the Wicked Witch. And the story doesn't tell us why, the Wicked Witch does that. And uh, these children, I think this was year one, and they came up with a, this great sort of notion that the Wicked Witch had in fact been in love with the prince, but the prince didn't love the Wicked Witch, he loved the princess. And uh, so the Wicked Witch had got really angry at this unrequited love from the prince and turned him into a frog. And I was just like, you know, and once one of them had proffered that idea they all tried to develop that same idea of this uh this love triangle um and uh, and uh, it was it was it was just brilliant because they all liked that idea it obviously made sense to them as to why that would happen why why that prince might have been made into a frog and we all, well, it's all jumped on that and isn't it with the um, the thoughts for discussion, and me and Isla spend quite a lot of time, don't we, trying to work out what those thoughts for discussion are going to be, what would be a good question. And all of that comes from Vivian's classroom and looking at how she would ask interesting questions. So she wouldn't ask the children, 
how many billy goats are there in the three billy goats graph, which is actually a really dull question. And it's in the title. And why are you asking? You know, why why do we want to know that? But she would ask more things like, what did the troll do after he'd been knocked off the bridge by the big billy goat? Where did he go? And the children would come up with, quest- you know, their own answers and their own ideas for that. And, you know, sort of one of my, because we actually asked that question to the children I was working with, and they were all talking about how, you know, he was very sad, actually. And he went and said, sorry. And he realised that he'd not been a nice troll and he wanted to apologise and be friendly with them. So, you know, and those are really nice things because you get a real understanding of children. Because, of course, you know, if children had done something wrong, they'd be told you have to apologise. So, of course, the troll has to apologise for for stopping them and realising that he'd been punished. <laughs> and they want everything to be all right as well, don't they? They, yeah. they don't want the troll to be cast into, you know, I don't know, the, the other side of the world and never come back. You know, they want... They want to forgive him too. You know, it, it is the nature of children. Um, yeah. We had a brilliant one about the princess and the pea. And the princess, obviously, in the story, she turns up at the castle in the middle of the night, knocking on the door in a terrible storm. And uh, again, the story doesn't tell us where did she come from? Why is she there in the middle of the night on her own, wet, soaking wet? You know, where has she come from? And the children got really interested in that idea I think because they get used to talking in that way because there's a freedom in knowing this isn't a test of your comprehension have you understood the story but in talking about how the princess came to be there they're showing their understanding of the story because they know the rest of the story so they're saying things like well you know maybe she was looking um, for the prince, maybe she was lost in the woods and that's the first house she found. Maybe, you know, she fell off her horse and her, her leg and that was the nearest place. To, you know, all these amazing yeah. things. And they, of course, they know they can't be wrong. So they just keep going with all these brilliant ideas, but show how well they understand the story. And I think that's it. It's that thing of understanding story is about realising that you can't be wrong when you're looking at things that are outside of the narrative, which is why it's such a nice thing. You can be wrong when it's inside. You know, it wasn't a frog. It was a dog. No, actually, it really was a frog. But when we're looking at understanding the narrative in terms of the stuff that happens outside of the bit that we hear. I remember with the ugly duckling, um, one of the questions is, how does the swan's egg get into the duck's nest? You know, the duck, because actually, why is that egg there? Why does the ugly duckling who hatches as a swan, um, why is it there? And actually, the children were brilliant when I asked that. And a lot of the time, and I think you had similar. So we had, even though we're working with very different schools, different areas, we had similar answers of the egg being at the top of the hill and rolling down and they've problem solved. They found a solution. Oh, it must be that. The swan laid the egg at the top of the hill and the egg rolled down into the duck's nest and that's how come it was there, which is brilliant. It's just genius and they're such exciting ways because they make us surprised as adults. Whereas, you know, how many Billy Goats gruff there are? Oh, there's three. <laughs> you know, you sort of go, that's not exciting. That doesn't yeah. excite what me. What sizes were those Billy Goats? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's just it's just that thing, isn't it, for, for uh, have you understood the story? And of so course, the other, 
acting out the story, like you said about Vivian's classroom, that the golden magic of the depth of understanding when children get to act out a story that they've listened to. Some children really need that physical opportunity to help them understand it. Yeah, definitely. And then the other thing is the abridged version and the activities that go alongside that. And, you know, so activities which support the children to um, either do craft activities or physical activities or listen to a bit of music. So there's a whole range of other things. And then with the abridged version, what we can do is you can print them off and share them at home. So hopefully we're coming to the end of this podcast. So hopefully we've given you an idea of how we develop a language rich environment and you will have your own ways and your own brilliant ways. But the more we can do that we're sharing stories with children, the greater that understanding will be of story and of all the intricacies that surround it, of all the possibilities that understanding story offers. So thank you ever so much for listening and we'll see you next time.